All right, take your Bibles to Luke chapter 22 tonight. Luke chapter 22. Well, I've just about come to the conclusion I'm not a great soul winner, but I'm the best one that North Point Baptist Church has. Um, Yesterday, we were out door knocking, and uh, we went out right over here in front of QT, just where you used to live, Brother Woody, over there in that housing complex. We're knocking some doors, and I knocked on a lady's door, and she came to the door. She was actually her kid came to the door first, and this little poodle type, ugly as sin dog came to the window and started yapping at me. And you know, when nobody's watching, I always like scare them. I'm like, get back. They run back to the kitchen, and so then her child comes up to the window, and he begins to get on all fours and bark and a pant like a dog. And so I said, well, this woman needs some help. So I stayed there a while, and he was, after he had stopped barking and panting, he said, one second, she's right, one second. So I waited on her. She came to the door, and I said, hi, my name's Andrew Wolfenbarger, and I'm from Joshua Baptist Church, and I was just wondering if you had a church to go to on Easter Sunday tomorrow. She said, no, not really. And I was like, well, I would love for you to be my guest. And she goes, awesome, is this the one right across the road? And I go, yeah. I was not even thinking that where I was, right across the road, is North Point Baptist Church. Or, and so I said, yeah, we're the big red brick building with the big pretty chandelier that hangs in the window at night. You've probably passed it. I was like, so if you'll meet me under the chandelier tomorrow at about 10.50, uh, you can sit with my wife and I in service. And so I don't know if any of you saw me, but I was sitting right out there in that chair this morning hoping. And I got home and I realized what I'd done. I was just praying, Lord, please, I'm an idiot. If you'll just make up for my moronicness, and Lord, if you'll take away my foolishness, help her to see the track that doesn't have the church's picture on it. And uh, I was hoping she would type it into her GPS, even though it was right across the road. I was, I was hoping, but I'm going to go back and visit her. Pray for her, if you will. Her name's Sally. Maybe she hated North Point, <laughs> loathed everything about it. And I'll say, well, we offer a good alternative. Also, yesterday I was out door knocking and I saw a man and they just brought some burgers into the house. And I said, look, I, I don't want to keep you long. I saw you brought some food into the house there. So I just want to invite you to our church, Joshua Baptist Church. And if uh, you, know, you don't have a church to go to on Easter, I would love for you to come to our church. And he said... Uh, is this the one across the road? Absolutely. Because <laughs> I still had not thought of it. You know, I still was not intelligent enough to piece it together. And he said, yeah, we tried there. We hated it. I go, oh, but I thought he was talking about our church. I was like, really? What was, what was the problem? The youth director there had some crazy ideas. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. <laughs> this happened. And I was like, Really? Well, uh, you know, when was that? And he said, when y'all first opened up. And I said, okay, okay, well. Well, I'm the youth director now, and things have really changed. So I consider myself a pretty normal guy. So we would love it. And so uh, probably sent four people that way this morning. But uh, he probably got in there. It's the same youth director. Ah! Yeah. So I'll hopefully go back and visit him, and maybe he loathed that guy again. Maybe they'll come to our church. You know, I'm just a moron trying to serve the Lord. That's all I am. So in Luke chapter 22 this evening, 
it was so funny seeing Brother Don, Whitt- uh, Don Epper's face as I told him what the name of my sermon was tonight. He said, Brother Andrew, you're preaching? I said, nope, I'm just putting this mic on so I can talk to JT up in the sound booth. <laughs> no, I said, yes, sir, I'm preaching. He said, what are you preaching on? I said, three empty promises of Jesus. And you, it, was, it was like somebody punched him in the face. I mean, there are no empty promises of Jesus. I said, oh, there's three of them. He goes, no, he, all his promises, he's good on. No, there's three empty ones. But maybe it's not the empty that you're thinking of. So tonight, Luke chapter 22, we'll start in verse 39. Luke chapter 22 and verse 39. The Bible says, And he came out and went as he went to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'd be with me tonight. I pray as I've already asked for your Spirit's help in private. I do it now in public, Lord, and I, I totally affirm to you that I'm nothing without you tonight. I have no wisdom to give these people, no clever intelligence, nothing like that, Lord. I'm just a vessel begging to be used by your hand. And so, Father, I pray that you would open their hearts that the Word of God might penetrate their soul. Lord, I pray that we would all leave this room differently because of the promises that you've made. It's in your son's precious name I pray. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate when people give me empty promises. When I was much younger, my parents allowed me to go over to my Uncle Don and Aunt Karen's. And my Uncle Don's a great big hunter. And when I was much younger, many of you think that my dad actually took me hunting a lot. But no, I remember watching my dad pull out to Colorado in the Bronco, crying my eyeballs out, begging to go hunting. And he would leave me there and I would literally grab onto his pant leg. Dad, please take me hunting with you. And he would always push me away and say, get away from me, you reject child. I hate you. I'm going to go kill deer for the glory of the Lord. And you're going to stay here with your mother. And I remember it was a terrible time in my life. And so I, I, they would always, I guess they were having dates. I don't know what they were doing, but I would go over with my sister and we would go to my Uncle Don and Aunt Karen's house. And my Uncle Don, like I said, is a great big hunter. And without fail, every time I went over to his house, guess where he was going? Hunting. And so I'd say, Uncle Don, can I go hunting with you? I want to go so bad. He'd say, well, you're not wearing any camouflage. <laughs> like, what are you hunting That you need all this camouflage. I'll be honest with you. The biggest deer I ever shot at was in blue jeans, okay? This camouflage thing is a hoax. So I'm sitting there and I remember all this time and I'm like, okay, so if next time I wear camouflage, then I'll get to go with you. Yep, that's right, Andrew. So the next time I remember I wore my camouflage shirt. Uncle Don, I wore my camouflage. I wore my camouflage. Oh, well, you're not wearing camouflage pants. 
What are you hunting, man? The dodo bird of Africa? I don't know. What are you hunting? Oh, it's terrible. And so, but I was used to the rejection because my dad did it to me all the time. <laughs> and so it was kind of funny, but I remember he said, all right, if you wear a camo. But he was always just trying to push me away. The reason he was going hunting is so he didn't have to put up with me. And I knew this even at a young age. And so the next time, man, I wore everything camo. I traded my Scooby-Doo billfold for a camo billfold. I put my camo shirt on, my camo pants on. I went like the duck commander with my face all blacked out. Uh, I, I grew a beard so that I could go with him. It was amazing. I, I was so stoked. And I remember pulling up into the driveway. He was loading his toolbox, going hunting. I said, Uncle Don, can I go with you? Can I go with you? And I totally forced his hand because what else is he going to make up? Well, what color underwear are you wearing? No, no, no. I got to go with him. But he was always just, they were empty promises. Every time I always tried getting something better, you know, he'd always make some lie up so that I couldn't go with him. It was terrible. I hate empty promises. This evening, I want to take a look at three empty promises of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me just say this. I don't want to border on blasphemy at all. But the empty promises of the Lord are not so much promises that He cannot fulfill. They're actually promises of a place that was empty. Alright, so first of all, I want to take a look at the empty garden. The empty garden, that's where we find ourselves here in uh, chapter 22. You see, what's happened now is Passion Week has ended. Jesus Christ now knows that Judas has gone to betray Him. Now it's weighing so much more heavily on him the fact that he's about to have to go and suffer for the sins of the world. And for the first time, and I believe this is truly the reason so much agony was placed upon the Lord, is because he knew for the first time in eternity, him and his father would have to be separated. And so right now what we look at is we look at Jesus in the last few hours before men come and take him away and lead him to Golgotha where he will eventually hang and die. And I, I'm, I reminded how he sits there and he says, okay, disciples, you pray with me. I'm going to go a little further and I'm going to pray by myself. Here in verse 42, we see, first of all, the pain of the garden. Look in verse 42. The Bible says, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will. But thine be done. I want to stop here and I want to just say, Jesus knew the type of pain he was going to have to endure. There's so much theology that we don't even understand. But let me just, Jesus' crucifixion was more painful than any other man that had to be crucified. You know why? It's because no other man had to lose every ounce of blood that he had in his body. That was not a requisite for every other man. You see, Jesus had to spill every single drop of His blood so that every single human being in this world could be saved by the pure blood of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every single drop had to be spilled. You think Jesus didn't know how much pain He was going to have to endure? Isaiah 53 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. That's an Old Testament reference. Jesus came after this. 
Psalm chapter 22, the Bible says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws and thou hast brought me to the dust of death for dogs have compassed me and the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones they stare upon me. This is Jesus on the cross in chapter 22 of Psalms. Jesus knew what He was going to have to endure. And now just a few hours before He's led to Golgotha, He's in the garden thinking of the pain. Thinking of the emotional torment and the physical torment He is fixing to endure for you and I. And He says... This is a lot to take off. This is a lot. Not only do you see the pain of the garden, but you see the passion of the garden. Look in verse 44. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. What do you think that agony was? The agony was not he was physically in pain. The agony is that he was about to die for the sins of the world. And he was torn between, between his humanity and his divinity. You see, the human side of Jesus didn't want to die, but the divine side knew he had to die. You see, it was painful for him in one breath, but in the other breath, he saw your face. And he looked upon your face and your sins that he knew would be cast upon him that day. And he said, Lord, this is not going to be easy. Lord, this is not going to be pleasurable. But for the sins of the world and for the salvation of the world, my father, I will do what your will is. Now, in the Matthew version of this story in the Garden of Gethsemane, now we hear the soldiers coming up to take Jesus away. Judas comes up to Jesus and kisses Him on the cheek. You all know the story, right? Matthew chapter 26. What does Peter do? Remember, he grabs his sword, pulls it out, and begins to defend Jesus. Now, I can't say I wouldn't have done the same thing. Knowing what Jesus was about to have to endure, even though theologically, yeah, it's needed. Emotionally, you don't want Him to go. And I don't blame Peter. He takes his sword and he slices off the ear of the man, remember? And then Jesus looks at Peter. And I love this part of the story because Jesus says, Don't you understand, Peter, that my father can send 12 legions of angels? You think Jesus didn't know a way to escape from the agony he was eventually going to have to face? You see, the beautiful thing about the empty grave is Jesus could have stayed there. He could have stayed there. And if Jesus had have stayed there, there would be no remission of sins. Hebrew tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Without Jesus uh, leaving the garden, garden, and as the Bible says, as a sheep before his shearer is dumb, so Jesus opened not his mouth and was led to, as a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus follows these men of whom he could say, Father, send your angels. Father, send help. Hey, he didn't even need to say that. He could have said, be gone. But he didn't. And you see, they led Jesus out of the garden to the cross. Let me just stop right here and say, I love the Lord because He died for me. I love the Lord because He didn't take the easy route. 
It was easy for him to say, Father, send your angels. Father, help me. Don't allow me to do this. It would have been easy for him to do that. He had the ability. But you see, my friend, that evening in the garden, he understood there was something much bigger than his his desires or his wants. He said, Lord, I love this old earth so much. This old sinful, wicked planet. I love them all so much. I'm willing to leave the comfort of the garden to, to go to the chastisement of the cross. You see, one of the empty promises of the Lord is that He didn't stop at the garden. He went all the way to the cross. When, one night I was out hog hunting at the ranch. And I remember I had uh, this hog had come in. And this was when I was first getting into bow hunting. I had an older bow. And this hog had come in. It was a pretty good sized boar. And I remember drawing back and he saw me. And he began to run off, and I stopped him at like 55 yards. I just lobbed a, lobbed a shot, and I didn't even come close to hitting that hog. He laughed at me as he ran away. And I remember as the sun went down and it got completely dark, I knew there were hogs around. And so what I did was I got out of the stand, and it's pitch black, and I'm walking back to the house, which is a pretty good ways from that stand, and I remember hearing... And this may not sound that scary, but when you hear two grown boars fighting in the woods that you are in, in the dark, knowing that they most predominantly are black, it is, yeah, I I will admit, I am a wimp when it comes to that. Now, I'm the guy that always says, you know those hog wild shows, oh, hogs will run from you. But something about this thing where I had just shot at him, almost thought he was going to get revenge on me, you know? He's like waiting on me in the woods. I'm going to get him. (laughs) I was scared to death. So what I did is I'm walking in this completely wide open pasture. Now it's completely black, but I'm walking in this white coastal pasture. I get in the very center of the pasture so I can see on the white grass if a hog were going to run at me. And I call my dad and I say, Dad, can you come pick me up? (laughs) Right? I was scared to death. I know what a hog can do. especially All I had was a bow. And obviously my shooting ability was not that solid before. Under pressure, I doubt it would be much better. I was scared to death. So you know what I did? I got in the safest place I could get and I called my dad and said, Dad, save me. Jesus could have. Jesus went to the garden and he could have been right in the center of the safety of the field. And he could have just said, Lord, it's too much. The noise of the armor coming is too much. The shackles I hear in their hand are too much. The spears I know I'm going to have to uh, be poked with and prodded with. The, uh, the, the, the stripes that are going to be placed upon my back. It's going to be too much, Lord. It's too much. Save me, oh God. But you understand, He did it. For you and for me. I'm so thankful that the Lord loved me so much He would die for me. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our, uh, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. He knew the pain. He knew the hurt. And yet He said, For the joy of the salvation of the world, I will die for them. Praise the Lord for the empty promise of the garden. Secondly, we see the empty promise of the grave. 
the empty promise of the grave. In Luke chapter 24, take your Bible two chapters over to Luke chapter 24. In verse 1, the Bible says, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. Amen. And it came to pass, they were much perplexed thereabout. That's a good, good definition of where there's supposed to be a body, there's not a body. Perplexed thereabout sounds like a good thing to say. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how He spake unto you when He was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and the third day rise again? And they remembered His words. You see, I'm thankful that the Lord died for me, but I'm thankful that He rose for me. I'm thankful that the one thing in this entire world that nobody in this room can find victory over, He did. And that's death. You see, Jesus took the pain of the cross, the pain of uh, the men beating Him and scourging Him and smiting Him in the face and, and spitting in His face. He took all that. But my friend, on the third day, He rose from the grave. Look in verse 5 and we'll see a person distinguished. I love this. Miss Kim, this is your song this morning. I love this. Why seek ye the living among the dead? What a question. What a question. They look at these people that have come to the grave and they say, why are you looking here? Let me ask you, friend, if you were in search of, oh, let's say Peter's bones, St. Peter, would you have to look among the dead? Absolutely. Let me ask you, friend, if you were to go look for the bones of John the Beloved, you know, the great apostle, The great disciple, John the Beloved. Where would you look? Among the dead. Let me ask you this. If you were to go and try finding the bones of Buddha, a god of other uh, religions, where would you look? Among the dead. Let me ask you, where would you look for the prophet Muhammad? Among the dead. You see... This was not just a thing the angel said. They were distinguishing the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Far from anybody else that's ever walked on this earth, they said, why do you look where everybody else goes, but the Lord Jesus, He's not among the dead. You better look among the living, my friend. Oh, I'm thankful that the Lord has power over the grave. I'm thankful that He has power over death. I'm thankful He has power over hell and sin and anything you've got in your life. He has power over, my friend. Oh, my friend. It's so good to know that our Lord died for us, but yet He lives for us, making intercession at the right hand of the Father. Ephesians 1 and verse 19 says, Which he wrought in Christ when he was raised from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, 
far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in the world, but also which in things which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all and above the church. You see, there's no one in this universe, no one in this galaxy more powerful than the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no one that's ever been able to do what He did. You see, there's phonies that can hit people on the heads with Bibles and and allow uh, fake shows to come back to life or or to uh, get out of a wheelchair. But my friend, I'm thankful that Jesus did those things. I'm thankful that Jesus was able to look at a leper and say, be cleansed. I'm thankful for that. But you see, there's nobody, nobody that's ever gone to the grave and rose again from the dead. Why seek ye the living? Among the dead, he is not here, for he is risen as he said. Oh, there's a great promise in the fact that Jesus is no longer in the grave. We see a person distinguished, but we see in verse 6 a promise delivered. He is not here, but is risen. Don't you remember what he told you? When he was yet in Galilee? saying the Son of Man must be delivered, but what does it go on to say? And be crucified, and the third day rise again. A promise delivered. I'm reminded of the text oh, oh, in the Gospels where Jesus says, oh, you destroy this temple in three days, oh, three days I'll rise it up again. You destroy this temple, and they all said, how could you uh, re-raise this temple if we pulled out the foundation, if we tore down the walls thereof, how could you think that you could rebuild it in three days? What does the Bible go on to say? Oh, but he was not speaking of the temple, was he? He was speaking of his body. He was speaking of his life. He was speaking of himself. You see, Jesus can keep every promise he ever made. Every promise he ever gave to those fishermen over in Galilee, he kept it. Every, uh, every promise He's ever given me, guess what, my friends? He's kept it better than He said. And I'm sure the story's the same for you. You see, the beautiful thing about Jesus' power is that He has all the resources in the world to deliver on the promises He's given you. Oh, my friend, if you want to look in your Bible today and you want to fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ and you want to read His Word and pray daily and you want to just really get a hold of God, He said that He will do that. For we have a high priest which, can, uh, which is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Oh, we don't have a high priest that can't be touched. Our high priest loves you and He wants to draw close to you, my friend. Oh, what a good thing it is to know that Jesus was powerful but He can deliver His promises. Thirdly, look, you see a power demonstrated. A power like no other. A power demonstrated. You see, what's special about this is Lazarus is a really cool story, is it not? Oh, Jesus comes in there a little bit late, right? And all uh, Lazarus' uh, sisters, they say, Jesus, you're too late! You're just too late, Jesus! Oh, but isn't it great? He's four days late. He's right on time. And you see, Jesus goes in there and He says, Lazarus, come forth. What does Lazarus do? He's raised from the dead by the power of God. But see, there was nothing really special about Lazarus besides God. You know what I think special about Jesus? It was His own power. It was His own power. See, 
people have been raised from the dead. We have examples of it in the Gospels. But nobody's ever done it by themselves. The power of God raised Jesus. The Bible says in Colossians 2.10, And you are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. Uh, Revelations 1 and verse 18, I am He that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. The Bible says, For with men these things are impossible, but with God all things are possible. The Bible says, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. You see, we don't serve a God with no power. We don't serve a God with no resources. We serve an almighty, everlasting, eternal, loving, powerful God this evening. Oh, what a great promise that He's no longer in the grave. So we see the empty promise of the grave. We see the empty promise of the garden. But thirdly, we see the empty promise of the globe. Look in verse 24 and verse 44. Now, if you ask me, I love preaching on the fact that Jesus went to the cross. And there's a lot of that preaching done, amen. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that. One thing that's shameful to me is preachers, and I include myself in this, only preach on the resurrection once a year. I, I, I just, I hardly think that Paul or Peter, when they were witnessing to someone, omitted the resurrection from the dead. But I look at this, and let me just tell you, I'm excited to preach this next point, the empty globe. In verse 44, the Bible says this, And He said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Oh, the Old Testament's full of Jesus, is it not? Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, Genesis 3, Genesis 1. Oh, it's full of Jesus. The Bible says, Then opened He their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that the repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high, and be led them out uh, as far as to Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Verse 51, And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into glory, up into heaven. You see, isn't this a little bit anticlimactic? I mean, forgive me for saying this, but now Jesus is crucified. He's been risen from the dead. Uh, People begin seeing Him. People start asking Him to spend time with them, and Jesus does. Forty days Jesus spends on this earth. Remember, I love the story when He comes up and He says, Oh, don't touch me yet, for I have yet to ascend to my Father. That's an appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ to to a woman. You see, uh, Jesus begins to minister to everybody, but isn't it crazy? He spends about 40 days on this earth and He says, You just wait here. The promise of the Father will come. And then up He goes. Isn't that a little anticlimactic? I mean, isn't there a great miracle? Isn't there something awesome coming? Oh, there was. There was something marvelous coming. Something great. You see, first of all, we see a parted Savior in verse 51. 
And it came to pass while they blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. I'm reminded of the story in Acts chapter 1. Jesus' ascension up into heaven. Remember what happens? The disciples, they just kind of stand there like, well, now what do we do? Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. They stand there. They're looking at the clouds. They're looking at the sky. Jesus was there. No longer is Jesus there. What happens? Angels appear to those men. He says, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into the heavens? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you, shall so come in like manner. Y'all know that story. You see, Jesus is gone. But let me just say this. Jesus is not gone. You want to know where Jesus is today? Hebrews 7.25 says, Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Intercession for them. Brother Jim, if you ever come to me and you ask me to pray for you, I'll try to do my best. I will tell you I'll pray for you. And and what I usually try doing is pray for you within five seconds of when you tell me. So I don't forget that night when I'm praying. But you know, there have been times when, oh, Brother Odell, I'll pray for you. I got tired and I just didn't. Not necessarily you, Brother Odell. I'm sorry, that sounded a little rough. But... I've done it, and, and maybe I'm just a sinner, but have you ever done that? Oh, I'll pray for you, brother. And then three weeks later, you're like, I wonder how that turned out. <laughs> Hope God was in that. He knows my heart. Isn't that what we always say? You see, there's been times when I, my humanity, maybe my lack of spirituality has kind of failed one of you, if you've asked me to pray for you. But, you know, there's one who ever liveth to make intercession for you. That's that's what he's doing. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father and he says, Brother Hodges needs something, Father. Oh, he needs something from you. Lord, would you please give it to him? He looks and he sees each and every one of you and he says, this person has a need. They have something. Lord, maybe, maybe it's just a spiritual need. I remember one time I was at college and I begged God to let me see someone saved. I went at 10, 2 o'clock at night to pick up my roommate from CVS. And there stands a man crying on the corner. I remember God saying, you got curfew. You don't, or God wasn't saying that. Satan was saying that. Maybe my ignorance was saying that. I'm saying, you got curfew. You got to get back to school. And God's sitting there in my heart saying, you need to go witness to that man. I remember begging God and praying to God to just show himself to me. And that night I walked up to that man and in tears he accepted the Lord as his personal Savior. Maybe that's what God needs to give you. is just something to charge you spiritually. I went away that night at 2 o'clock in the morning. I laid my head in bed. I couldn't, I couldn't sleep. I was so excited. I was amped up. Went into my dorm supervisor's room. Boy, howdy, I just led somebody to the Lord at 2 o'clock. What have you done for the Lord at 2? <laughs> well, I was sleeping, but now uh, we'll talk about it. You know, I was excited. You know, that's what Jesus is doing right now. You got a need in your life. If I fail to pray for you, Jesus won't. Now, I don't know if y'all know this, but the Rangers started 27 minutes ago. From the sound of it, y'all know it. And Duke stopped about, (laughs) yeah, they stopped about midway through the second half. So, you know, I go to the Rangers game, and I've sat pretty much everywhere in that ballpark now. I think last year I went something like 10 or 12 games. I love going to the Ranger games. They're so much fun. 
Because you get to hog out on chili dogs. I mean, it doesn't even matter if the game's good. Last year I watched Seattle Mariners beat us like nine times. One of them was like 18 to 6. And it was the worst game of my life. But I was eating chili dogs. I've been to all the seats in the ballpark. Uh, I remember my mom and I moved six rows from the field during that Seattle Mariners game. I've been to an ALCS game where we played the Detroit Tigers. And I remember sitting third level on down. Me and Cody last year, I guess it was last year, we went and we sat 12 rows from the field right behind third base. But you know where my favorite seat in the whole ballpark is? Right above home plate. And it doesn't matter how high you get me up, it's still a good seat. You know, I've been third level, right above with my wife's family, right above home plate. And you can see where those balls and strikes miss the plate, because you can see that ball coming in there. And and the ball comes out just outside, and the, the umpire says, ball. And all Ranger Stadium, boo, boo. And you stand up, no, it really was a ball. I have a better seat than you. You paid more, but it really was a ball. I know that, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to a game, but a lot of times they pop the ball up, and since they're major leaguers, they pop that ball, like, outside the stadium. You think it's going to bring down comets or something. I mean, it's just unreal. And without fail, there's all these other people that are like, yeah! They think it's a home run, and you're like, it's an infield pop-up. You're a moron. That's what I always... And I've done that before. I've been in another seat and I've been like, pop-up Ian Kinsler. Oh, just another pop-up Ian, you know. But from that seat, I can see. And, and remember, I'll, I'll watch them and they'll hit that ball and they'll pop up. And everybody's like, yeah. And I'm like, you're all stupid. <laughs> I paid less for my seat and have a better one. But that's my favorite one. Right above home plate, I can see everything. You know? Jesus can see everything from where He is. He's got a view from up top, and I promise you, you've never gone through a struggle that He didn't know you were facing. And maybe I don't have a very good seat. Maybe I I can't pray for Brother Odell the way he needs me to. Maybe the unspoken that he has is very important, but maybe I, I don't know what that is, but I promise you there's one in heaven who sits a high and he looks at your life and he says, this is the need that person has. Father, please give it to them. I'm glad Jesus left this earth. Because if your prayer life's weak, I know one who is not. Maybe I can ask you to pray for our baby, but I'm just thankful that tonight, Jesus is up in heaven praying for my baby. I'm thankful that He sits right next to the Father and He says, God, please protect that baby. Lord, please just help their faith grow as they're in this. Lord, please give them that baby. I'm thankful for that. We see, first of all, a parted Savior, but secondly, a present Spirit. Look at this in verse 49. The Bible says, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye here in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Now, I don't even really want to too far get into this because my dad just preached a series and he's going to own anything as far as what I can do on it. But isn't it an awesome thing to know that as Jesus left, He didn't just leave us alone. 
He sent the Holy Spirit of God. And and he says, oh, when I'm gone, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for me to go away. And I can just imagine the disciples face. How is it profitable that you go away? That doesn't even make sense, Lord. You're our savior. You're our king. How, How does it make sense that you go away? For if I go not away, the comforter will not come. But if I depart, depart, I will send him unto you. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. I'm thankful we have the Holy Spirit of God. I'm thankful that, you know what my prayer is when somebody comes up to me and asks that they pray, that I pray for them in a difficult situation? It's not that the Lord would fix your problem. It's that the comforter would, would be laid upon you. That His grace would be given to you. Oh, we can't just, every trial, ask our way out of it. How would our faith ever grow? But my prayer for you is that when that thing comes that knocks you off of your feet, that the Comforter would be there with you. And God promises that He will be. I'm thankful in the times that I've needed the Comforter the most, God's grace has always been present to me. It is expedient that I go away. How is that so, Lord? Because if I go, there cometh one. I can't comfort everybody on this earth when I'm here fleshly, in a fleshly body, but when I go... The Spirit of truth, the Spirit of God will come and He will guide you into all truth. You ever been reading your Bible and you just have no clue what it says? Oh, I've been there. Uh, What? Now, this was when I was much younger, but I remember when I thought John chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, was speaking about the Word of God. I remember when I was much younger thinking that in the beginning was the Word. That meant that God had a copy of the King James Bible right beside of Him. King James all the way, bro! I remember that. But I remember that day when the Holy Spirit allowed me to see just a little bit further down. Oh, and the Word was, came unto us and became flesh and dwelt upon, among us. Uh, And we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father. You see, it's not talking about the Word of God, the the written Word of God. It's talking about the living Word of God. It was God and was with God in the very beginning. That's the Word of God. You know what the Holy Spirit did for me that day? Guided me into all truth. Because my mind just couldn't wrap it around, but the Holy Spirit guided me into all truth. I'm thankful that I have a friend like Brian Cohn. Me and Brian are on the same Bible reading plan. And so what we've been doing this year, when when something cool comes up that we'd never seen before, we send it to the other one uh, through text message, email, whatever. But we're just like, hey, have you ever seen this before? I'm thankful for that relationship that Brian and I have, that we're able to keep each other accountable on our Bible reading, but also that we're trying to help each other through our Bible reading. Hey, maybe you didn't get anything out of it, but I got this. Maybe this will help you. I'm thankful for that. But you know what that, what we're saying when we send a text message? Hey, the Holy Spirit showed me something awesome. 
Because there's nothing in this fleshly body that can understand awesome spiritual things of God. His ways are not our ways, neither are His thoughts our thoughts. How could my mind wrap around something that's eternal, infinite, marvelous? Oh, it's only because the Holy Spirit's guiding me. You see, Jesus had to go away. It was expedient that He would go away so that in your trial, so that in your situation, He could comfort you. But so often what we do is we shy away from the Word of God. That's how He comforts us most of the time, is it not? The Holy Spirit's wanting to guide you into all truth to comfort you. The Holy Spirit's not a feeling. He's not somebody that you put on like a coat. The Holy Spirit is somebody that you nourish. It's the God that you nourish and you try filling yourself with it through the Word of God and through prayer and through meditation upon God's Word. Oh, that's what the Holy Spirit is. But I'm thankful that I have Him. You know, it's sad to me. The other day I got under conviction so bad. I've already told this story to the JCA chapel. It was Tuesday night. I guess it was about two weeks ago. And I was reading my Bible and I was reading over, I guess it was uh, Mark's version of the resurrection. And I remember reading that and I fell under such conviction that a preacher of God, called of God, has never preached a sermon on the resurrection. Now, I've preached dozens of sermons to y'all. I've preached probably going on a hundred sermons to the youth. Dozens of sermons to JCA. I've preached at youth camps. I've preached in teen revivals. I've preached a lot so far in my young life. And I'm thankful for the Lord allowing me to do that. But I had to repent that I had never preached on the resurrection. Hasn't the resurrection became more of a holiday? Something that we honor once a year. than something that we allow ourselves to dwell upon every single day? You see, I preach a sermon on remember the cross. Oh, don't forget what Jesus did for you. But I had never preached a sermon on remember the power of God in the resurrection. Aren't you glad God's power was evident in the resurrection? You see, there is no power of the resurrection in the Christian's life without the Holy Spirit of God. Because He is the power of God in your life. Jesus not uh, sitting up in heaven saying, Oh, teenager, you need help, you need help. But bam! That's not how God works. Like Merle, what's that cook's name? Bam! What's that? Emerald Lagasse, that's right. Merle. I know Rachel Ray because that's the one my wife watches. You know, that's not how God works. He doesn't spice it up a little bit. God gives us the Holy Spirit. And so often Christians don't know anything about the power of God because they don't know how to feed the Spirit of God. You say, I don't think it's become a holiday. It sure seemed like it was this morning when our auditorium was full. And now, I'm not even talking about the visitors here. I'm talking about members. You think it's become a holiday? You know what I'm afraid Easter's become? I'm afraid Easter's become a fashion show. 
I'm afraid church on Easter Sunday has become no more than just dressing up real nice so that other people can see your bright colors. We're no better than peacocks in that respect. And I, I, I say this because I'm truly worried about it. I got under conviction something awful, awful about it the other day. Why do we only preach on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ one time a month? Because I'm afraid preachers, us preachers have allowed it to become a holiday. You see, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the promise of the empty cross, the promise of the empty grave, the promise of the empty globe, Him sending His Holy Spirit upon us. Don't we just kind of treat those a little mundane sometimes? See, my prayer for this church, my prayer for every Christian in this church is that you would fall deeply in love again with God. Doesn't our love have a tendency to wane? Remember what the Bible says, remember thy first love. Oh, it's asking them to return to the love that they first had. I'm just afraid as I look at our auditorium tonight, I evaluated my own life two weeks ago and I just said, it'd become a holiday. I don't know if it's become one for you. I know that I put on my different tie today. I know this though, my favorite basketball team in all the world just lost and it really doesn't matter because today is the Lord's day. And guess what? If my favorite basketball team loses tomorrow, it really doesn't matter. Just because this old world honors one day a year, the resurrection is something I should honor every day. Guess what? If the Rangers choke and lose the wild card game, or hey, don't even make it to the wild card game, guess what? It doesn't matter. And I'm not saying you can't root for them. Hey man, go look at my truck. I just put a Texas Rangers sticker on it. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying maybe we should look at our lives and maybe we should evaluate our lives and just say, Lord, has it become something normal to me? Have I fallen into the trap that the world has painted this one time a year thing? Have have I fallen there? Because I had. My question to you today is, is it just a holiday? Are these wonderful empty promises of the Lord just something that have become normal? Because there's power in every promise. There's passion in every promise. And there sure is provision in every promise.